You know, what I love about this book, 1 Thessalonians, it's got such a range of application. If you're a brand new believer or even an explorer of the truth of Jesus, it's got amazing application for you because he's writing to some really, really young believers. He's writing to some people who are just babies in their faith and their trusting of God. People that he only had three weeks of Sabbath days to teach. So he hadn't developed them as disciples and leaders yet. But at the same time, he's got information like today that would help every seasoned leader, every seasoned believer, because he's talking about the most important things to leadership like motivation. What's your motive? What's the reason that you do what you do? And that's a, that's a depth. It's not just behavior modification, which sometimes the church focuses on. <laughs> let's, let's behavior modify. Let's change our behavior so that we look really good. And that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about heart issues that cause the behavior. We're talking about heart issues that um, release behavior. And that's the essence of growth. So wherever you're at as a baby believer or even a non-believer or a seasoned leader and veteran believer, you're gonna find something in this book for you to grow in, for you to be uh, encouraged by. And the area today of, of motive is one of those settings, one of those options and opportunities. Let's read together, uh, not out loud, I'll read it out loud, but First uh, Thessalonians 2, 1 through 7, the beginning of 7. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We know that, you know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Let's just pause for a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for the call that it makes to uh, Paul to uh, uh, elucidate and bring to the forefront his motives. And Lord, would you do the same with us this morning? Would you allow us to examine the kinds of motives that would cause us to flourish as your people, to flourish as your church, to flourish as the body of Christ. Thank you again for this book. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It sounds a little defensive. Paul's kind of on the defense here a little bit because he's heard criticism that has come to him about 
his behavior, about his gospel teaching, about his ministry. So in some ways, he's uh, uh, responding to that. Because what happens if you criticize and put down the messenger, the message is attacked as well. And that's what Paul is looking at here. He's saying, you know, I was motivated by these things and it protects the message. That's all important to the Apostle Paul was that the message of the gospel, the message of the truth of who Jesus was and what he did and what it meant in people's lives would not be criticized, would not be uh, hampered, that would instead be, uh, would be believed, would be trusted and would be utilized in their lives. If you've got a handout with you this morning, jot down a couple of things that I think help us see Paul's um, flourishing motives. His flourishing motives. First of all, I see him labeling life and all its goodness, life and all its treasure as a gift. He calls it an entrustment. What we use around here, Mark brought up, a stewardship. See all of life as a gift. When you see life as a gift, it's hard not to have thanksgiving as a motive. (laughs) Living your life back in response to the gift that you've been given. In today's world, entitlement seems to be the process of the day. Doggone it, I'm entitled to this. It's my right. Paul's the exact opposite. It's not our right, it's our gift. What if we lived life not with the expectation and the entitlement feeling, but instead the opposite? Where Paul's coming from here, it says, I was, in, I was entrusted with the gospel. It was a gift. He says things like, um, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God. To be what? Entrusted. Entrusted. Do you see your life, the very breath you breathe, the living out of your life as an entrustment from God? He has given you your life. He has given you your breath. He has given you your energy and your health. And he desires to see you utilize that for the benefit of the gospel. He was entrusted with the gospel. There is this gift of grace. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, it says, but with the help of our God. The idea there is the gift of God, the grace, the grace. In fact, jot that down. All of life is a gift, the gift of (laughs) grace. Grace is spelled out as God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And he's speaking directly about the help that God gives at being a, a, a gift. It was because of that. See, it's not deserved. It's not earned. It's not something that they have um, put energy into. Instead, it's a gift from God, unsolicited, undeserved, unearned, uh, as it were. When he says we were to be entrusted That's motivating us to live a life of thanksgiving. See, God first gives to us, and then we return it back to him. As we return it back to him, it blesses 
people. Are you grateful for the gift God has given you of life, of health, of ministry, of service? The life he's given you to be grateful for that. Let me think for a minute about the uh, gift of the group. Because he's talking about this church that he got to spend three weeks planting the seed of the gospel in and then had not seen them. But he's now heard a word from Timothy. Timothy has come back to him and given a report and said, you know those believers that you were in Thessalonica with? You know those believers that you shared gospel with for three weeks? They are strong. They are virile. They are consistent in their walk with God. And Paul's heart just began to leap and to, 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 to rejoice that their faith was strong. In fact, he says, now your word about who you are and your faith in God has gone out to the whole region. And then he said, not only the whole region, now the whole world is hearing about your love for Jesus, your grace reception, the love that you have. And so Paul is saying, we dared to tell you the gospel of God. Now, Paul had been uh, abused in Philippi. We've talked about that a little bit. They, uh, he, the girl was following him around who was demon-possessed. The girl was following him around who was demon-possessed saying, these men are from mighty God. And she was actually telling the truth. But Paul decided to cast the demon out of this woman. And because he did, the men who were using this demon-possessed woman as a profit motive were really, really upset. He had really uh, upset the apple cart. And so they got the whole city in an uproar. They got a uh, a riot going and ended up accusing Paul and, and of starting the riot. They started it, but they blame somebody else. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Sounds like a modern invention, huh? And so what happened was they got put in jail. And as they were in jail, you know the story. Middle of the night, they're not just in jail. They've been beaten. They've been flogged. And they're put in these uh, restraints. I don't know about you, but being chained would be bad enough. But to be in an immobile position where you couldn't even find comfort. To be imprisoned and in stocks was agonizing and painful. What was Paul doing in the middle of the night? He saw the gift of God that God had given him. His life was still there, and he began to praise God. The jail collapsed. (laughs) Paul stayed there. The jailer began to commit suicide and decided not to. When Paul came forward and said, we're here, Paul shared the gospel with him. And some would surmise that the very reason Paul went to jail, the very reason Paul was in prison was so that the Philippian jailer and his family could come to know Jesus. Can you imagine that? And Paul rejoiced. He expressed gratitude. With great joy, he said, this family the Philippians, and that leader of the church in Philippi, one of the leaders of the church was this Philippian jailer. Not a believer, a Roman worker who became a pillar in the church as the Apostle Paul 
So then he comes to Thessalonica, and the same group that got him in trouble in Philippi followed him. He was being hounded by those that were against the gospel and against God and definitely against Paul. But Paul says, I dared to tell you, precious people of Thessalonica, the gospel. I told you anyway. I expressed God's love in the midst of this group. And so he saw this this, uh, gift of the group that was there and he dared to tell them. Now, another city Paul was in was uh, Lystra. Lystra was a little bit different, but uh, as as Paul was in, in Lystra, he also got in trouble. And they not only um, wanted to throw him in prison, they decided to stone him. They began to throw rocks at him. And he went unconscious. And they thought he was dead. They dragged him outside the city and left him for dead in Lystra. Well, God had certain plans yet for Paul. And sure enough, Paul was not dead. (laughs) Paul woke up and the gift of life, the gift that God had given him continued on. So of course, Paul just escaped, right? No, guess what Paul did? Probably the opposite of what you and I would do. Paul went back into town, the very place where they had sprung up and, 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 and stoned him to death, quote unquote. You know, it's one of those, I'm back. You thought you could kill me. Wouldn't that be fun? You, know, you thought I was dead <laughs> on you. You know, Paul walks back into Lystra, the very city that had stoned him. And what did he do because of the group, because of the people that he was trying to bring to Jesus? He started to tell him all again about the love of grace of God, the love and grace and mercy of God. And sure enough, a band of believers began to assemble in Lystra. It was the life and the gift of life that Paul used to express the love of God. And I just gotta ask you and me today, are we using the life he's given us? Is our number one priority self Fulfillment is our number one priority, self-comfort, or is our number one priority the declaration and grace of God being extended to others? Are we willing to, to go back into town, those who've abused us and misused us and even attempted to kill us, are we willing to walk back in and look them in the eye and say, God's got a different plan. God's got love for you. That's the gift of the group. He calls them brothers and sisters. Most of these people were not fellow Jews. Most of these people who came to Christ in Thessalonica, he says, were Greeks, were, were, were Gentiles. But he calls them brothers. And so they were adopted into the family of God. And he calls them by name. This is a precious, precious family. And um, they were adopted into the kingdom. One more um, depth of motive seeing life as a gift was the gift that was given to him was the message of the gospel. Not just life, not just people, the group, but the gospel. You know, you put life and the group and the gospel together and what do you have? Eternal, everlasting, abundant life. He says, this gift was given to me 
of the gospel. We speak as approved by God to be entrusted with what? The gospel. What's that? The good news about Jesus. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how it applies to our life. How we have through him life. How we have death to our old self and how we have a resurrected life with him that's everlasting. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what's for every one of us. You know, the Apostle Paul was uh, tested. You know, he was tried in Antioch and different places. He served in other ways than just sharing the gospel. He served as a leader in the church. He says uh, he's compelled this. He says, if I were doing this on my own initiative, this is Corinthians 9, I I would deserve payment. But he says, I am under compulsion. (laughs) I have no choice for God has given me, what's it say? Sacred trust. And I just need to look out at you today and say, you know what? God's given you and me a sacred trust. Trust. As soon as you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, you're required. You are commanded. You are entrusted, stewardship-wise, with that message. Hey, Bill, if somebody had the cure for cancer, you'd want them to tell you, right? Yeah, you'd be compelled. If you had a cure for a deadly disease and kept it to yourself, what would you, what would you be thinking about yourself? And yet so often, we've got the cure for God's wrath. We've got the cure, spiritually speaking, and yet we keep it to ourselves. Here he's saying, I am controlled. I have a sacred trust. It is entrusted to me. Let's go one more thing about the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Just keep telling people the good news about Jesus. Just keep expressing the gospel to people and allowing that righteousness of God to be revealed. A righteousness that is by faith and from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Remember in... uh, Acts chapter five, they were beaten in this case too. They just kept getting beaten and left for dead. (laughs) He says, uh, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Nothing could stop them. Instead, they were rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy to suffer this grace for the name of God. So we've got the gift in a way, it's the gift of life. We got the gift of the gospel, the gift of grace, and the gift of the group that is there. So if we see life as a gift from God, we are gonna do things for different motives. We're gonna do things out of thanksgiving, out of rejoicing, and out of what Paul calls the entrustment, the stewardship of gifts that God has given us. Let's talk about the next one here. The next motive is... Do we please God or men? This is an area of particular conviction 
for me because I like to see people happy. You know, maybe all of us do. We want to see joy come to people. We want to see people blessed and happy. But our motive, the reason we do things, should not be just to please people, but ultimately to please God. Now, if we please God, we are going to please godly people. You know, you catch that? If we please God, we will please godly people, and that ought to be the people that we want to please, okay? But our goal is not to please even godly people. Our goal is purely motive-wise to please God. See, what was happening at the time? Religious, we would call them hucksters, were running around the country, leading people astray and causing all kinds of religious fervor and commotion. They were exploiting the superstitions and the superstitious people of that day and would lead them astray sexually, would lead them astray financially, would lead them astray doctrinally. Okay, those are the efforts that were made. Um, here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians. We are not trying to please people, but who? God. God who tests our hearts. Underline that. Underline that. God tests our hearts. Now, isn't it true that the further you go in learning lessons, the more difficult the tests become? How many of you, if you're uh, working out and lifting weights, you increase the weights as your strength increases, right? When God tests our hearts, you know, sometimes you can gauge how far along you are by the weight given to the test that you're under. But notice he says, God tests our hearts. Don't think that the tests you are under are just random. God is using those tests potentially to test your motives, to test your heart. Here he says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used, here's a couple of knowns. We never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, but praise from God. Let's, let's jot, this, uh, jot this down. Three things real quick. He brings up flattery. Flattery, the stroking of someone's ego. We would call building up someone's vanity. Okay, that's what flattery is. Most people can see through it, but often it sneaks up on us. Somebody says a really big compliment to us to manipulate. It's not just complimenting someone in truth. It's complimenting them in truth with the goal of manipulating. That's what flattery really is to, we would say, butter them up. You know, old-fashioned phrase, but to butter them up. And you promise them what they want to hear. You tell them, here's what Corinthians says, they brought teachers unto themselves that would tickle their ears, okay? That would tell them what they wanted to hear rather than the truth that they needed to hear. There's a difference. What you want to hear may not be what you need to hear. And he says, we didn't come to you with the flattery of what you wanted to hear. We told you the truth, even if it was not flattering. 
even if it was not flattering. Proverbs 26, 28 says, with the flattering mouth, it works ruin in someone's life. Flattery is described in the Proverbs over and over again as part of the danger. In fact, it's, it's, it's described as the seduction of the woman who's, seducting, who's seducing a man away from God. Why do they do it? Flattery. Guys, you're susceptible. Ladies, you're susceptible. Flattery can be a portion of ruin. Let's go with the second one. He says, we didn't come with greed as a motive. We didn't come with a greedy gain in mind. You know, our world is filled with those who would want to get rich quick. Those who would use whatever, gambling or whatever, to um, pull on that motive of greed. I want to have it and I want to have it now. So Paul's like, we, we didn't come to you with that. In fact, Paul was so intent on not allowing any suspicion of greed, he said, we could take up an offering and live by that offering, but we're not gonna do it. What we're gonna do is so tense and make, uh, it's kind of a, a dual income kind of thing. We wanna make an income for ourselves so that nobody would criticize the, the ministry that we're under. So that they're not saying, you hear it today, all the church wants is my money. You've heard that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why we don't take up an offering collection here. We don't take up an offering collection. We want people, just like Mark said, to purpose in their heart ahead of time what they want to give and to give, not with compulsion. I was in a church in Tacoma where they had uh, old-fashioned poles with bags on them for the collection. And they would pass them down the row. You know, they would, the, the, the usher would stand at the aisle and pass this bag down the row. Now, what was interesting, if somebody had a means that the usher didn't think they were providing, they would tap on the person's chest or shake the bag in front of them. And even if they gave a certain amount, if it wasn't what the usher thought they should give, they would shake it again. And they would stay there until the amount that they thought should come in from that person came in. Now, that, that, that goes against that verse that says, not under compulsion, but let each one be a cheerful giver. There were some people that were giving. I'm not sure how cheerful they were. They kind of made, you know, made a whole system out of it. In fact, that Sunday I was there, I, I got to preach at this church. It was a pulpit exchange so that they were, the, the preacher from that church was in our pulpit and I was in that pulpit, you know, sharing the message in that pulpit. And they took up three offerings that, that day. So it was highly focused on that. And I think that the suspicion would have been there about this very thing we're talking about motive-wise. It was the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul did. He said, I don't want even the, the idea of greed to come anywhere close to my ministry, so I'm gonna not even accept one dime from the congregation. Whatever they give is for missions, I'm not gonna accept any of it, so that no one can question my motive, okay? And for all of us, we need to make sure that greed, the desire for more, greed, the desire to get rich quick, or greed is not a part 
of our of our motive or ministry at all. You know. Recently, the uh, church down in California, led by John MacArthur, went through a. They're still going through it, but a, some huge controversy about coronavirus and their meeting. They, they didn't meet for a period of time and then they met again. And so the same criticism was levied against him that you just want to meet in public because you can take up an offering. So early on, before that criticism even could be levied, they said, we're not taking up an offering. We're not going to receive any offering during this season. They didn't receive any offering. If you, had to, if you wanted to give, you had to give online or give um, through the mail. So nobody could say the reason you want to meet is because of an offering. So what was reported was their offerings quadrupled during the time that they said no offerings. Okay? So the offerings doubled and then doubled again during this, during this season without any request. And you kind of go, see, God can take care of his people. He can take care of his church. He has always met our needs and I believe you'll always meet the needs of those who, whose motive is not about greed. It's not about selfishness. It's not about getting rich. But the question is, are you, as an individual, free from that motive? You know, are you, what was the word Mark used? Generous. Are you considered, is generosity a part of, and the biggest part, he says, not to exploit but instead to, see, if, you're, if your focus is people, it's going to be fickle. It's going to change all the time. He says, please, God, not men, even yourself. Now, I want to mention that uh, it wasn't just financially. In this day and age, there were all kinds of uh, sexual exploitations that were going on. Several religions that caused people to go into a, 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 a temple service where sexuality was highly uh, involved in that. And so there were, we would call them perverts that were using religious leadership to pervert God's plan for sexuality in this. And he says, we, we were not, and that we were not masking or covering up greed. And so let me also mention uh, one more, peer pressure peer pressure. And this is the one that can get to Christians maybe more than the other two. You know, what do you do and how do you do it and why do you do what you do? How much of yours and my behavior is because of the view of other people? Sometimes when I'm writing a message, sometimes when I think of an illustration, my thought is, how are people going to respond? It's natural. But shouldn't my thought be, How's God going to respond, regardless of how people respond? You follow me? This is a temptation for all of us, is to let peers and the pressure that comes from peers be the motivating factor. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're not preaching ourselves. <laughs> We're preaching Jesus. What a difference between um, using people and utilizing people. Have you ever thought about that? What's the difference between using people 
and utilizing people. I think it comes down to motive. It may look exactly the same. Someone may say, Pastor, you just want us to serve because you want stuff done. Yeah, but I want you to be blessed by your service and by your ministry. If my motive is to bless you, it's not to manipulate you to get you to do something for me or for the body. It's to get you to do something so that you'll grow through that. You see, the difference may not be the behavior, but it may be the motive behind the behavior. Are you catching that? Yeah. That's why I love it when we do the giftings class and we do teaching about your ministry. It's not because I like to just hand off ministry and I want to sit back and sip on a lemonade and do nothing. You know, that's not what it's about, but it's rather to empower and strengthen you in your ministry. I get a kick out of that. That's a blast. But it's all because of the motive. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. I've used this a couple of times. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set yourselves as an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that anyone may see your progress. See your progress. It's not about flattering forces. It's not about greedy gain, and it's not about peer pressure. It's about actual spiritual progress. Give yourselves wholly to them, he says. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. This has to do with motives. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and those who are around you. See, he's stressing the the motives there. Let's talk about shedding masks and cover-ups. Go clear back to the uh, book of Genesis and Adam in the garden. When sin enters the world, what happens? Masking and cover-up. <laughs> you know, they recognize their nakedness and they cover up. They also hide from God, or attempt to hide from God. Remember Jesus, God's voice? Adam, where are you? Like he didn't know. You know? It was for Adam's good that God asked where he was. He says, nor did we put on a mask or cover up greed. God is our witness. He's saying God knows our motive God knows what's inside of us and why we're doing what we're doing. And masks, isn't it interesting? We're talking about masks today. Masks and covering up is not the part of God's plan. Instead, opening up, revealing who we are, confessing who we are, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The righteous prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The fervent prayer of a righteous man. God is pleased to trust us with his message. We don't speak to please people, but to please God who knows our motives. This is the uh, CEV translation, contemporary English version. But to please 
God who knows our motives. You also know that we don't try to flatter anyone. God himself knows what we did wasn't to cover up for greed. We were not trying to get you or anyone else to praise us. So on the one hand, you've got, you know, pleasing God. The other side, you've got God's praise and his uh, reward. Let's break this down a little bit. God, it says real clearly, sees the heart. God sees the heart. So no matter what you cover up on the external, God focuses on the internal. God knows what the inside is like. You may be able to fool a lot of people, but you can never fool the Lord. All persons' ways seem pure to them, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 12 says, um, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. You know, don't trust yourself. Don't trust what other people's opinions of you are. Trust God's opinion. Trust God's word. God sees the heart. Remember Samuel going to pick out the king, and as he gets to uh, one of the sons of David, or one of the brothers of David, he says, this is the guy, this is the guy. Now, they'd already had Saul, who was head and shoulders above all the others as king, you know, and you just, you, you just think if it's a tall, dark, handsome man, of course that's who God's gonna choose, right? Gets to Eleazar, or the, the brother, and he says, Samuel says, this is the guy, this is the guy, and God says, no, 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 no. Don't judge by external things. Don't judge by, and he wasn't putting him down because he looked good, or was tall, he said, God's looking at a different criterion. He's looking at the heart. Do not consider his appearance or his height. That's hard for us, isn't it? We are so externally focused. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. Oh, if we would learn that lesson. It's not about the outward external beauty, the handsome, the beautiful, even though that's our tendency is to focus on that. He says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, if we would learn that, that lesson today. It's hard for us, isn't it? You know, I hear about the cancel culture that we exist in and how so often we, we use very external things to judge and to determine whether people can even be a part of our society. I think it was the uh, crazy program called The Bachelor. You know, and here you've got a, a lady who's dating a black man, but they find out when she was in high school or college earlier in her life, she had dressed up in the plantation kind of, you know, the uh, plantation theme for a dance. And so they canceled her. They said she's racist because she had this uh, dress-up time. And then those that came to her defense were fired from the company. <laughs> and it was like, are you serious? These things, uh, you know, I think it was a politician on the East Coast who was being judged for being in a play where he wore blackface. And then they, the guy who was gonna replace him, they did some research 
and they found out that he also had done the same thing when he was a young person. And then the person who was gonna replace him, they did research, so they had three individuals in a row that if the one fell, the next one took over, the next one, it would be all the way down to a, a person from a different party that they didn't agree with, <laughs> from a different political party. And so they just said, let's, let's cancel the cancel, you know? Are we, are we at a place in our culture, are we at a place where all we do is judge on the past and on the externals? Or do we let these things we're talking about today, motives and desire, and be the proper thing to weigh, and even give people the benefit of the doubt that it's between them and God. It's between them and their Lord where they're at. Because the Lord, what's he do? He looks at the heart, whether they were picking a king, a leader, or whether they were picking a person for their family. God looks at the heart. So God sees the heart. God also gave them genuine fellowship. When you have pure motives, you get the chance to really be a unit. Like he said there, the group. In fact, he says, instead of having impure motives, we were like young children among you. What are young children like? What did Jesus say? Unless you become like these young children, you're not gonna see the kingdom of God. Innocence, right? They had a, a sense in which they were trusting God, children have a natural tendency to trust God. He says, that's how we were among you. We were like little kids among you. Not perfect, but with a desire to have pure motives. What we all need and all, all desire. Um, one more thing. They had a real and a rich reward. When you strive to do what God wants you, and please God rather than men, you get a real reward. When you just get the accolades of men, it leaves you empty. It leaves you hollow. It's not real. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us in due time. What do we want to hear, every one of us? <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. That's the attaboy of the Lord that deep down inside we all want. But if we're striving to please men, if we're striving to please people, we'll totally miss God's attaboy. We'll get the accolades of people and miss. Because if you're seeking God's pleasure, you will not only please God, not only please God, but those who are godly will also be, be pleased. There was an agnostic that... Um, read about the other day that uh, 20 years ago or so was suicidal. He was ready to end his life. Had no purpose, had no reason to, to, to continue to live. But he um, kind of made one last ditch effort to find the genuine article when it came to spiritual life. So he hired a private investigator. Kind of we're talking about cancel culture and all these private investigators. He, he hired a private investigator to specifically go after some preachers, some pastors, some leaders of spiritual life that he knew. One was named Will Houghton, who later became the president of, of Moody Bible College. 
And as these, this uh, private investigator dug into their lives, he came back and said, I can't find anything wrong. I can't find any reason that these gentlemen would not be trusted, would not be followed. And so based on his private investigator's knowledge, he began to sit under the teaching of Will Houghton. And Will Houghton began to share, as he did every week, the gospel of Jesus. And this individual who was ready to commit suicide eventually became a believer, eventually even enrolled his daughter in Moody Bible Institute and allowed and encouraged her to become a full-time Christian ministry leader and servant. And, and I have to ask the question, how about us? What if a private investigator was investigating your life and my life? What would they find? I know some people that have said, I'm not running for political office in this environment because I know what I did as a teenager. <laughs> you know, I know what they'd find. But you know what? You and I have a private investigator examining our case, knowing exactly what we've done and when we've done it and where we stand and where we don't stand. And guess what? It's the Lord. The Lord is our motive checker. The Lord is the one who knows. And what you can do now is not look at the past, not look back, but instead look forward and trust the private eye, the Lord himself, to lead us into the future with pure motives. Motives that will see all of life as a gift from God. Motives that will please God and not men and motives that'll take off the masks and the cover-ups and just be real with each other. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you that you know the depth of who we are and the evil of our hearts, and yet you love us anyway. And you help us to examine our lives and examine our hearts and examine who you make us to be. Father, we're praying today that as we trust you, that our motives would become those that would just be flourishing, that we would sense your call in our lives. We would please you and you alone, that all the impurities of motive would be burned off as dross, and instead we would see a, a, a purity of desire. Thank you for making us uh, like Jesus. We just ask that that would happen more and more and more. We love you, we honor you, in Jesus' sweet name, amen.